Hey, Ken. Hey, Jub. How's it going? You know, it's just, just going. It's going. I'm, uh, I'm currently injured, which is not fun. But... Fuck. Beside that, <laughs> we, uh, we had a full-fledged Nintendo Direct, which is quite amazing if you consider... The last time we had one was September of 2019. Yeah, that's really crazy. They had a lot of mini directs this year. Um, and it, it's mainly because Nintendo didn't have a whole lot of news to deliver. But uh, now they're yeah, back, uh, you know. Yeah. Japan got hit really hard by COVID. Yeah. Um, but they did, you know, they didn't keep their shit open. I, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think they're still feeling the effects of that because despite it being a... Uh, back to normal direct in length. I don't really think it was a back to normal direct in terms of energy and announcements. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of substance to this direct, in my opinion. Um, I'm sure people are excited for a multitude of things that were in that, but nothing really piqued my interest. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of JRPGs. A lot of remakes and re-releases and ports. Uh, not not a whole lot that piqued my interest. I don't know. What about you? Um, just a couple things. Um, I think it's a, what's funny and one of the ones that I think people are most hyped about this whole direct: New Mario Golf, which we haven't had in a long time. I'm into New Mario in Golf, week. and their twist on it this time around looks very cool. Where you're like, yeah, golf race. <laughs> Yeah, the speed golf. Speed golf. Yeah, and you got like a story mode. It's like golf story, Justin, but with Bowser wearing a flannel shirt. <laughs> yeah, we'll see it. I guarantee you it's not as good as golf story. No, I know. Yeah. Hell no, it's not. Golf story is a great game. Everybody should play it. Not enough people probably played that amazing game. Very into Wario's golf outfit where he wears a cowboy hat. Um Somebody on Twitter made a, a GIF of uh, uh, Primus in the in the music video for um, their hit song, Winona's Got a Big Brown Beaver, uh, are walking <laughs> in, in their cowboy outfits, and someone just put Wario right next to them. Hell yeah, dude. It's, uh, it's frightening. But yeah, Mario, Mario Golf could be good. But, like, you know, a lot of those things, like, I was questioning whether they should even be included in the Direct. Like, stuff like, you know, hey, you know, cool, those Super Mario items in Animal Crossing are cool, I guess. But do they really need, like, a whole big trailer in the Direct? It's not that big of a substance mm -hmm. thing. And lots of ports right. and things that could have just got announced and didn't really need to be in there, in there, because there's not, like, a whole lot of new information or tie-ins. It seems like, uh, I mean, along, along with, you know, people in general, but Nintendo also seemed, maybe in this instance, a little desperate to, uh, get back into the normalcy. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think with that, they delivered a little bit of a dud. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of duds, some people are really excited about this. They don't want a dog on their parade, but we did get a new Smash character announced. Oh, Josby wants to talk about breasts. I see how it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. It's it's Zetoblade. Um, it's it's your your sword characters. 
from the games. It's living weapon shit. It's really fucking weird. But, um, it's kind of, I don't know, like, people... Oh, wait, yeah, she's like a sword, right? She's not even, like, a right. human? Right, they're, they're, I mean, they're, it's weird. So they're living weapons. Talk about objectification of women, am I right? Haha, <laughs> they're literally objects. Mm. Um, <laughs> these, these characters are really weird, um... And I mean, some people I, might be really excited about it because it's Xenoblade fans. I get it. I'm sure. Um, I just, like, I kind of want these last precious few DLC characters to be crossovers with a franchise that Smash hasn't crossed over with yet, which is not the case for this character. It was also not the case with Sephiroth, but Sephiroth is at least an incredibly interesting super popular, notorious video game character. Uh, and still, I feel like his spot could have been better represented by, like, a franchise that has not crossed over with Smash yet, just because, like, that's what Smash has become with its p- potential and its possibilities. It's been the, it's become the, it's the biggest video game crossover event of all time. Yeah. And, uh, it's sad. It's kind of sad to see more. I mean, like, Nintendo representation's fine, obviously. This is a Nintendo game, but, like, I don't know, man. It's just kind of boring, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a little it's bit. Kind of where like, I if land. you're a huge Xenoblade fan, it's, that, that's good for you. But, like, you know, I kind of felt the same way when they did another Fire Emblem character. It's like, well, you have a bunch of Fire Emblem characters, and you have Xenoblade representation. Like, I, I don't think this is as interesting of a pick as something like a Terry or a Banjo or a Joker where it's like you're you're adding a franchise to the game and you get all the music tracks and a stage that uh, works and like you know delivers like the world that you're crossing over with uh Certainly, you're still getting that with this. Like, you know, tons of references to the 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 big fans of this game. But, uh, you know, as an outsider, I'm just kind of like, you could have picked something a little better. And also, uh, shout-outs to Sakurai for being a big hypocrite. <laughs> During the Terry reveal, he, he said that Mai uh, couldn't be in Smash because... Smash is for good little boys and girls, and this is clearly a a, a little joke about how Mai uh, dresses very provocatively and has big old big old uh, titums. Uh, but then I look at these characters, and like they are uh, the censored versions of the characters, I suppose, because their outfits are a little more revealing in the Japan release of this game. But, very much uh, so, yeah. That they are censored for all audiences here a little bit, uh, but but still like you know boobs like that are humongous, huge ass yeah. bazongas. Uh, yeah, got got some bazongers there. You know what I mean? Big old big old bazooka joes. <laughs> and and yeah. what else you could ever you could say? You know, <laughs> insert metaphor yeah. here. It's just very anime in that aspect, I guess. It's very and, uh, anime. In so, that of course, along with that, you got two sides of that, where you have 
people who were, of course, like, ah, Big Mommy, Milky, Zoo, <laughs> and then, uh, and then you got people who are like, please shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, which, like, yeah, I, I hate it. I hate it deeply. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I mainly just want to say that, like, you know, I don't want to come across as like, you know, pearl clutchy, because I don't care. Titties never hurt nobody. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, I just feel like, you know, instead of choosing a new franchise, and instead of choosing like a character that is super interesting to talk about in terms of video game history. They chose anime titties as the character. And, like, it's pretty obvious why they chose anime titties as the character. Right. Because it's anime titties. Yeah, it was the whole concept, you know, look at the male audience and all that shit. I fuck it, I don't yeah. care for it. I think it's weird and, like, the thing is, like, you come to interpreting women in media. Women don't tend to like it, so it probably err on the side of not liking it. You know what I mean? I, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I wouldn't really pretend to know. Maybe these characters get a good portrayal in the video game. Uh, they just happen to have big old bazongas. You know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how the story is presented to you in Zeno. Yeah, well, when you're too. in a when you're at a creative medium where you get to make that choice, the fact that you make that choice is kind of shitty, you know what I mean? I I don't know. Again, I, I didn't want to be pearl clutchy about it. I don't really care. It's it's just like... I just think it's a disappointing choice from many angles that you look at it. Yeah, it's just not interesting. And, uh... I don't know. We're... we're we keep sitting here waiting for these wow moments from these characters. It seems like this packs a lot more Nintendo focus, which is fine, I guess. It's just, uh, man, I want some crazy shit. I need, I need, we need soft ride up less or something. You know what I mean? I'm hoping the last two are big crossovers with franchises that have not been in smash yet. I don't want a new Pokemon character. I don't. Yeah, dude, I'm really, really excited for the next character to be uh, be the Colonel from KFC. I'm really excited for the next character to be shut the fuck up, Justin. I mean, imagine this new pops up on the screen, Super Smash Brothers across KFC. Yeah. Well, I mean, my pick is a much more realistic one. Peter Griffin yeah. from Family Guy. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Welcome to the Head and Job Show. Hey guys, how's it going? And I'm dead. Well, that's it for our show, everybody. I don't know if I can continue with just be dead. Um, be sure to like and subscribe. 
<laughs> leave a comment. <laughs> Hit the bell for notifications. Uh, I don't know. It's probably uh, going to be a little bit more of a low-key episode if I had to guess, because I'm not yelling, because it's not noon. It's like 1.30 a.m. Uh, yeah, we're we're uh, it's late and we're tired, so yeah, here it goes. But you but, know, life you know, comes at you fast. I got some Coke Zero <laughs> to keep me awake, and Justin has some alcohol, so he'll fall asleep in the middle of the podcast. I think. Oh, I don't think I'll fall asleep. The adrenaline's still running. I hurt myself right before we started recording. <laughs> right. So I think we'll be okay. I hope you're okay, buddy. <laughs> that ice, yeah, that okay. ice just, is treacherous. Yeah, I'm just just bleeding a little bit, you know. Yeah. And it, and it stings. Other than that, I think we're okay. I cleaned it pretty well and bandaged myself up. Yeah. I I, right. I slipped and fell on the ice in my driveway a couple days ago. I didn't I didn't get a scrape, but my ass hurt for three days. That's just yeah, now we'll subsiding. It's probably better you landed on my ass. I landed on my leg like a fucking moron. Yeah. Dude, it's I. It's hard for me to catch my landing though, because I was getting out of my car. Yikes. Yeah, I don't know. I was I just literally stepped outside as if there wasn't ice. Oh yeah, that'll do it. And I fell instantly. Like I don't even yeah. like I feel like I was missing an animation. Like I like I went from standing position to on the ground. Like like it felt like it happened so fast that I don't even know how it happened that I went from standing to on the ground. It was interesting. Uh, but I hope you're okay. Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. We'll, we'll live. <laughs> I'm, I, don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to work my day job tomorrow. So that helps. Fuck Ohio is the lesson I want everyone to take away from this. Hell yeah, doggy dog. At least it's not... Texas right now, but it's still pretty frozen, pretty bad. Yeah, the thing is, like Texas just isn't prepared for the cold, and then they got hit with the cold. It's funny that they're not prepared for it, because like you you can uh, look at the weather and well prepare. That, that's what happens as a state. But, I mean, you, right. you have to have good people in charge though in order to do that. Yeah, well, the thing is, the people who are in charge in Texas are uh, companies, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, and they they knew it was coming ahead of time. They got told they got told that they had to upgrade their shit, and then Texas electric companies were like, "No, nah, that costs money," and then didn't do it. And now here we are. Yeah, and then liberals, in their infinite <laughs> wisdom, they get on Twitter, and they crack their knuckles, and they start typing out. Uh, this wouldn't happen if you didn't vote for Ted Cruz. Like, great thing. It's very helpful to the people of Texas. I mean, it's very helpful great to, job. like, the probably 50% of people that didn't vote for Ted Cruz. Right. You know. No election is, like, probably going to be more divisive, you know. Texas is a big state. I know it gets like the, you know, or shoes from Texas dumb kind of like like stereotype, but like, <laughs> you know, it's a big, big, big state. Big, stupidly shaped state. Can't stand the shape of Texas. Don't know what they were doing when they drew those lines. 
Yeah, it's very strange, for sure. State lines piss me off, because, like, you can tell how lazy they got at times, because there's so many states that, like, their shape is a square. And they just, they just said, fuck it. They're just like, we got that Louisiana purchase, we're just gonna, we're just gonna cordon this stuff off and just draw lines on the map. And just say, that's Nevada. Because it has to end at the thing there. North Dakota, South Dakota, why not just one big Dakota? I don't know. Ah, yes, let's make a mega Dakota. We should have less states. <laughs> let's cut the number down to 47. Let's just have one Virginia, one Carolina, and one Dakota. Hell yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Hell, let's go down to... I'm going to get right to work on that. Let's go down to 46 and give New Mexico back to Mexico. We could even give New England to England. Let's not do that. Tom Brady could, you know... Oh, wait, Tom Brady's not in New England anymore. Damn, that was my go-to joke. I'm sad. Hell yeah, dude. Things have changed. By remaining the same, because apparently he still wins Super Bowls. Sad. I'm sad. I'm still pissed about the Super Bowl. I'm going to be pissed about the Super Bowl for, like, eight months. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. So, let's, let's uh, that'll be key to, you know, continue to go off on tangents, because we are who we are. I mean, that's fun. You, you've, I know you've got you got some game to talk about. Game me up. I have several games I could talk about. Um, let's see. Take a couple. Let's see here. Well, um, I'm not going to talk about this one a lot. I'm going to save discussion of this for when I get a little deeper into it. But I started playing Middle Earth: Shadow of Mordor, and it's wow. it's it's pretty good. Um. You know, I'm I'm kind of surprised starting it because you know I had definitely heard before playing it that it's kind of like controls like you know a bit like Assassin's Creed, a bit like the the Batman games, and and then it, upon getting my hands on it for the first time, I'm like, no, it is just literally Batman Mordor City. Literally. The only thing missing is the grappling hook. Uh, is is literally a Batman Arkham game. It's, with yeah. a Middle Earth it's, skin on it. Yeah, it was quite straight up, especially in the era when those games were super popular. You're talking about your... You know, Batman Arkham's are like that. Assassin's Creed's pretty similar. Like yeah, that era of gaming, like those open world, like third person action type games, were huge. I mean, true, but I I mean in the sense of how everything works in the engine, the buttons are the same. Uh, a lot of the combo systems are the same. The way combat works is identical. Uh, there's shielded enemies you gotta jump over. That's identical. You have, like, a <coughs> detective mode, basically, to see enemies through walls and shit. Uh, there are green enemies that you can see, and you need to interrogate those fellas. That's in all of those. That's in all of <laughs> They're Riddler guys in Batman. Here, they're just, like, cowardly orcs, I guess. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the same. That's not a bad thing. I, I don't want to come across as negative. Uh, the, the Arkham games are great. Uh, I just find this all deeply ironic because recently uh, the Warner Brothers game people patented the Nemesis system from this that this game employs, where you can like lose to a guy and that guy gets better and gets promoted in the organization uh, and manipulate events to make them rise up in the organization. And, you know, uh, it's very cool, but it's something they patented, and that sucks because other games can't use it. And that kind of pisses me off because this game is literally just other games. Right. Well, see, that's well, that's gaming, buddy. Like that. That's the thing that's so crazy about this, and why that that whole thing is such a fucking farce. Yeah. Right? It's because like gaming has always been like really fucking derivative, always. And so like the fact that they like just make a system that's just like probably and like it's not like it's a wholly unique system. It's very interesting, but. I mean, really, you're just looking at, like, a fucking, like, rivalry system. It's not too crazy, right? Yeah, I think there's ways the fact for that other they games to do and... it while being a little original about it. That's, yeah, but that that's literally how it works, right? Right. That's what a lot of games do. Yeah, I mean, like, so like you know, you need that kind of, you need stuff to not be patented. And thankfully, nothing, like, super major has been patented, like, you know third-person cover shooter or something like insane like that. Uh, like, it's always been something a little more minor. I, mean, I remember, like, a similar debate about um, uh, Namco? I think Namco patented uh, loading screen minigames. Uh, you, you know, like, like when you play uh, Dragon Ball Z Budokai, and there's, like, little things you can do on loading screens. Mm-hmm. Like that. Um, those those aren't in any games ever now. Now, I mean, you know, uh, loading is about to not be in any game ever, pretty soon. Yep. But um, new hard because hard drive technology, you know, which is mega based. So I guess you know, lose lose there. But uh, you know, it's just like thank God nothing major has been patented yet for like these video game. Uh, functions yeah it, it's it's complete insanity and like I hate so much that that's the thing that happened but outside of that like I have played Shadow of Mordor um it's, it's a good game I like it a lot um especially at the time when it came out it was really fucking cool I'm sure it showed a little little tinges of its age yeah this is like an early PS4 game huh it's like end of end of uh, PS3 360. Uh, it came out on everything at once. I'm pretty sure, or like right. I actually, I think the last gen versions got delayed and didn't come out at the same time. They came out like a month later or some bullshit like that. I remember that being discussed, but uh, I, I don't know. You know, it's fine. I, I'm not. I don't have a whole lot of complaints. I don't have a whole lot of praises either because I just started it though. Um, 
I, I, I like that it's about a bunch of orcs being assholes. That's fun. The entire cast is degenerates so far. I love it. Uh, <laughs> like, although that does mean that the characters are interchangeable completely because like all the orcs are the same character, basically. They're all assholes. Yeah. But, uh, anywho, I'll talk more about that in the coming weeks when I get a little deeper into it. I've only done like a couple missions and a couple uh, side quests and shit. Uh, yeah, and I think it gets better as you go, too, because the Nemesis system is going to evolve. Yeah. So, um, I played a pair of games that I bought for very cheap, specifically to get Platinum Trophies in, and their quality uh, differs drastically. And I'm going to talk about both of them. Uh, you could talk about something first if you want, though. Because I, I assume uh, I will be talking for a little bit about these. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't done anything too crazy lately. Uh, but uh, I got really hard back into Valorant, which I've been playing a lot lately. The league shooter, um, not really, but like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's riots. The riot games is a shooter that they came out with last year. Um. And uh, I liked it. I would like the game a lot when it came out. I've talked about it on this podcast before. It's uh, a lot of elements of Counter Strike with uh, some variances mm-hmm. that make it really interesting, like characters with abilities um, and kind of a more centralized weapon set too, which is cool. Okay. Um, but they they added some game modes and stuff that was fun. They added you know what what is the equivalent of like gun game in a Call of Duty or something like that. Where you get kills and your your gun changes. Sure. That stuff's fun. Um, I started getting into competitive, which I didn't do before. And competitive Valorant is incredibly difficult. Like, incredibly difficult. I bet. Probably because a lot of people play it. Yeah. So Just what you're looking like at... Similar to, right. Similar to something like Counter-Strike. There's a lot that goes into it in that... You have to have, be accurate. You have to know the maps well, and you have to have good team communication, um, which communication is key. Mm-hmm. I bet. And so, going into it, um, I started off pretty bad shape. Um, I was awful, but I just played rank anyway. Uh-huh. And um, I did terrible. I got my ass kicked. I ended up getting placed in iron rank. Iron? Is that like bronze? Or worse, wood? Yeah, it's basically like wood. (laughs) Is is wood a It's underneath bronze. Okay. It is underneath bronze, which is so it's pretty bad. I got placed like kind of like towards the top of iron, but that's still really bad. Okay. Um, so then I just, like, kind of, I hated that, so I just kind of, like, got down and really grinded. And then, uh, it's playing last night, and that shit just, like, all of a sudden clicked for me, man. Oh. Where you're, like, just, like, kind of getting used to, like, where you're supposed to put your cursor at. Um, I adjusted a lot of stuff about my sensitivity and the crosshair that I have in the game. Found, found a good comfort zone for myself. Learned some new characters. And then I waltzed my way in, and then uh, 
last night uh, completely dominated in a game, and I jumped up two whole ranks. Cool. So I am feeling pretty happy right now. On top of I'm the having a really fun world time. of development. We're getting there, man. Um, but I'm having a really great time with it. It's, but you have the the thing about it is you do have to like have a competitive mindset and be like invested in competitive gaming. It's just like it's something that I enjoy. This just kind of stems from my love of fighting games. I like the competition. I like proving that I'm better than other people at things. Well, okay. It's great. I love that game. It's usually not what I a newfound love. want want to do in video games. Like I don't I don't know. I, I I do like competitive stuff to a degree, but I usually go in for more single player stuff. So I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how I should even talk about these. I think it'll be very apparent which one's the bad one and which one is the one I kind of liked. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. So both of these were purchased by me because they were really cheap to get trophies. Now, sometimes you could find a little gem in the rough with that method. But, you should, but you know, more often than not, you get a game like Coffin Dodgers. So, uh, Coffin Dodgers is a, is a, is a kart racer. Uh, and I love those. I love kart racers. Huge fan of Mario Kart. Uh, huge stan for Crash Team Racing. I've even played Garfield Kart. And, you know, I, I think before I played Coffin Dodgers... I would have said Garfield Kart is probably the worst kart racer I've ever played. But then I played Coffin Dodgers, so now Coffin Dodgers has that title. Uh, Coffin Dodgers makes Garfield Kart look like Mario Kart 8. Uh, (laughs) Damn, dude. Uh, So, I, I, I was sold on this game conceptually because it sounded pretty interesting and unique um basically the plot if you will of coffin dodgers is the grim reaper comes to like a retirement village to reap the souls of several elderly people that are there uh there are seven i think elderly characters uh so the and they don't want to die so they challenge the grim reaper to a scooter race tournament and the Grim Reaper accepts their challenge so you can choose one of the seven old people um, and once you beat the game with one of them you could play as the Grim Reaper he's like the eighth character in all of these eight man races uh, and basically like just like the further you go like the more old people are killed and you need to be like the last one standing or whatever Great. Um, but like each one is still an eight-person race. Like the, the people that die just get replaced with a zombie version of that character, and they function completely identically. Uh, I don't know why there's zombies in the game at all. I, I don't know. I think they just half had half-baked ideas and didn't really think about anything. Um, the game controls like complete shit. Uh, 
you'll be bumping into walls before you learn how the game like kind of works and like upgrade your scooter a little bit to have better stats uh which i found a fun exploit that is probably not intended uh you, you use coins that you bank to buy upgrades for your scooter and uh, in order to get the play you gotta buy every single upgrade for your scooter by the way uh, however, you get coins regardless of whether you finish in first or second or third or even eighth. You even get coins for eighth. But uh, if you hit retry race, you don't get those coins because it's treated like it never happened. However, if you quit back to the no. menu, you do get those coins. So when I would not get first, I would just quit back to the menu. And, oh my god. And get free coins. And I would upgrade my cart. Uh, way quicker than intended. I was seeing like people talk about having to play through the game four times. I only did twice. Thank God. And, and you have to do twice anyway because you have to play through as an old person, unlock the Grim Reaper, and then play through as the Grim Reaper. Uh, functionally identical. It just the Grim Reaper has like a bigger uh, melee weapon. Yeah, there's melee weapons in this game. Uh, if you get close to people, you can, like, charge your cane or scythe if you're the Grim Reaper, or, like, the other characters have different things, I assume, and knock people off their scooters, which is just basically, like, you know, getting hit by any projectile just, like, you know, throws you off course for a little bit, and then you respawn. Uh, the weapons in this game are fucking atrociously bad for a kart racer. Um, you know, you have your standard ones that are, like, you know, clear stand-ins for Mario Kart items. There's a shield. There's a thing that makes you do a boost. There's a rocket that hits the next nearest person to you. Uh, the most frustrating one is there's a Uzi, though. Oh. There's a Uzi. You can okay. drive by people. <laughs> And oh, fantastic. It, it is the most inaccurate gun I've ever fired in a video game. Uh, I, I think you just like literally have to drive straight up a person's ass in order to hit them with the Uzi. And, and there's a trophy for like knocking off 25 people using the Uzi. And that was probably the most frustrating part of platting that game because it's just it doesn't work at all. It's just, you know bullshit garbage. Uh, you know, all in all, it's far from the worst game I've ever played, but it is the worst kart racer I've ever played, which is saying something, because I've played a lot of those. <laughs> uh, the other game I platted God. is called Telling Lies, and I found that title pretty funny. Yep. Because all I can think of is that fucking... Johnny, Johnny, yes, Papa. Bullshit. Yeah. Telling lies? No, Papa. <laughs> but yeah, this game was super interesting and very strange. I've never played a game yeah, like it. Uh, so it's an FMV it? game. Okay. Okay. And I, I played a couple of those, and they're very varying in quality. Uh,. This is... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the game they made before this. I think it was called... Her Story. And that, that was like really crit critically acclaimed. 
I've never played that one. And then this is like kind of like their spiritual successor to it. So the game's screen... I was playing it on PS4, but like clearly it's meant to be played on PC, probably, because the game's main screen is a PC interface. Like, you're playing as a woman who is on a computer. And you can see her, like, reflection in the screen at all times. Just like, you know, like the vague hint of it. Like, like you would if you were actually staring at a computer. You know, like if you're staring at a computer and your YouTube video goes dark, you're going to see your reflection in it, right? It's like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you you could even play fucking solitaire that that was like the first hour of my playthrough was fucking around with solitaire uh i like solitaire anyway and i'm glad i did because i I, if you win a game you get a trophy lol (laughs) Uh, and, and like you know there's all kinds of things that like immerse you into thinking it's just actually a computer like you can like look at the other wi-fi networks available and like you know, fuck with the settings and, and all that shit, and you know, it's, you know, look through your recycling bin, and there's some pictures you threw away in the past. Uh, mm. You know, it, it's... It, it's So, the game is entirely consists of watching videos. And what I mean by that is, you have access to some kind of very illegal, I assume, NSA program that lets you view videos that people sent with their phones or, like, webcam chats from, like, people's Mm -hmm. uh, laptops and things, and you can watch these recordings secret recordings from the NSA, I believe. And uh, it, it becomes apparent the further you go why you're watching them, but at the beginning, it's very mysterious. Uh, the program works in a very specific and weird way. Um, you type in a search term, like any word. Uh, the game types in the one, one for you at the beginning of the game. You type in love. And... Uh, five videos pop up. There will only ever be a maximum of five videos. And basically it will be every instance in the pool of videos where the word love is said. So there's a lot more than five, but it's only going to give you like the first five. So you, in order to watch every single clip in the game, which you have to do for the plat, you don't have to do to beat it but like to get the full breath of the everything that happened I suppose Uh, although there's some that feel really inconsequential and you don't have to watch them Uh, in order to get like the full all the clips you gotta be really specific in your search terms so how do you know what to search it's basically like you're watching one sided conversations right Okay. So basically, like, you can tell that, like, you know, there's only, like, a couple people in these messages, or, or these videos, I should say. Uh, it all revolves around this guy named David, who is, uh, you know, you kind of learn he's, like, a secret agent of some sort, and he's undercover 
trying to find uh, this this terrorist group who may just be an activist group who's who's trying to stop an oil pipeline of some sort. Um, and, and you only get this dished out to you in, like, one-sided conversations. Like, say David uh, called his wife back home to talk to her for a minute about moving into his new apartment. You're only going to see David's side of that conversation, but his wife's side of the conversation does exist, and you can watch that. So you kind of use context clues from watching David's one-sided conversation to think of terms to search. You know, like maybe David says, how was work? Oh man, what happened? Oh, well, you know, I know you can handle it. And, and, you know, like maybe you'll type in just work or like, I don't know. Bad day. I'm just like throwing like uh, these aren't specific examples. Yeah. I'm just saying in general terms. Uh, right, right. You know, like you just find something that like clearly the other person probably said this, and you'll also surprise yourself and get you know videos you didn't expect to see. Um, and you know, as the story kind of like unfolds, it seems to be basically like you know, there's David, his wife who is back at home uh, raising their daughter by herself. And their marriage is kind of strained because David is off being an undercover agent man and not at home with his kid. Uh, And there's a lot to unpack in that marriage. I I will tell you that right now. Uh, (laughs) But also... David has relationships with two other characters, unbeknownst to his wife the whole time. Uh, he gets in deep to the organization and begins dating another woman. Uh, and she, you know, it's kind of like just assumed, like you can assume from some of the clips that he's just dating her to like, you know, get into the organization like this is part of his job. But then there's others where, like, it seems a little more personal than that, and then it gets uh, uh, maybe, maybe like, really too personal. And then, in some of the most uncomfortable-to-watch scenes I've ever seen in a video game, and I'm glad no one else was present in the room with me watching this because it would have been really awkward, David has <laughs> several conversations with a cam girl. Oh. And that is like a whole other side plot that isn't very attached to the other things, but is interesting as as fuck. Um, This game, in a lot of ways, seems to be an exploration of uh, males. (laughs) And, and, you know, your typical masculinity (laughs) kind of shit. Uh, David is, uh, you know, at times seems like a nice guy, and then at times seems like a complete uh, toxic psychopath. Uh, it just depends on what clip you're watching. You know, you know, he tells his daughter the story of Rumpelstiltskin in one scene, and talks to a cam girl about uh, wanting to know who she actually is, because he feels like he has a real relationship with her when he actually doesn't. 
in another scene. Uh, it, it's it's really fascinating, but uncomfortable as fuck because this game makes me feel like a fucking creep. Okay, because you're watching all these scenes and it's it's acted really well and really naturally. Like it feels like you're actually watching like bits and pieces of people's lives that they didn't want other people to see. Yeah, that's weird. And and it makes the whole situation very like. You know, like, yeah, just like uncomfortable. You feel like a voyeur. You feel like a creep right. watching this kind of shit. Like people, like you know, obviously it's it's fiction. You're not watching things that people didn't want you to see. But like you know, in the concept of the game, you are. And without spoiling anything, because I think I think this game is worth playing, uh, because it's it's pretty interesting and and pretty well performed. Without spoiling anything, you know there is a reason you're looking into all this, and, and it kind of makes sense. But the, the frustrating thing about it for me is um, you're viewing the story completely out of order because of how it's presented to you. Uh, every single clip you can watch is dated, like like with the time it was recorded and the date it was recorded. But because of the nature of how the game works, you're not like watching these in order at all. Uh, I saw the last clip recorded, which is a humongous spoiler. If I even talk about it, probably only 30% of my, of the way into my playthrough. And I wish I didn't see it because it, I felt like it kind of like revealed a little too much about the story to me. And it was just because I happened to type in a search term that David said in that video. So there's things like that that can happen. Now, despite that, the game still surprised me at several junctures, and I was in it for the long haul to watch all the videos, of course. But, you know, a, a lot of them are kind of weird and boring to watch, too, is, is the weird thing, because, like, you'll, like, have, like, extremely one-sided conversations where, like, you know... Let's say David's watching a cam girl be a cam girl for like five minutes, and then he says something to her. David's side of that conversation is a very boring watch because it's just a man right. staring at his webcam for five minutes. <laughs> and the cam girl stuff is really uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> it's the most uncomfortable thing in the game because, like, if someone walked up behind me and I was. It, it would look like I'm just watching a cam girl stream, 100. percent I don't. I don't. There's no nudity in the game, but like, yeah, it's close. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. I was just frustrated with like, you know, not every story should be told in in a insane Tarantino manner where it's like completely out of order. Um, I I feel like some of the clips should have been locked away from you until you reached a certain percentage complete in the game or something like that. I, I genuinely feel like that should have been the case. Like, they get bookmarked and it's like, watch these when you... This clip will unlock when you're, you've watched 50% of all the clips. Or something like that. Like, that would have been smart to do, I think, because I would see major revelations about things and then, like have no context for how the story gets to that point and, and mm -hmm. have to just like, you know, work in reverse to find that out. Uh, 
but the interface is really good. Like you can like pause a video and fast forward it and rewind it. And I recommend doing that a lot because you can, uh, you can even search words that are said because everything has subtitles on it constantly. The whole game subtitles are on from the beginning by default. And you could highlight words and search those terms specifically just by pausing a video, which is nice. If they say, like, the name of an organization, you know, you don't have to go write that down. You can just pause the video right. and search it that way, which is nice. That's good. Yeah, that's good at least. Um, it takes out some tedious shit. So, yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. I would say that's a good game. It's a fascinating little game for sure. It's just really yeah. strange. I feel like with, like, a little bit of tooling... And fine tuning, it could have been like a masterpiece, but there is a lot to it that kind of falls flat for me, just because of the nature of how it's told to you, in a very haphazard manner. And I, and I also feel like uh, I, I wouldn't really say this is much of a spoiler, but the pl- the player you're the character you're playing as the the female character who is watching all these clips is in the story, but is barely in the story, and I, I wish there was more of a reason given for why she has chosen to obsess and watch all of these clips. I, I wish they went more into that, and like it felt more explained and, and made more sense. But I, I think they really wanted you to not think about that you're playing as a character, and they wanted you to think about it just as yourself. Because really, it's just a puzzle game about like trying to find out what happened for yourself by watching all these video clips. Right. And and also the ending, like the ending, ending, like not the last video you view, but like the thing that like happens at the end of the game is pretty disappointing and. I felt like they could have executed that way better as well. Um, but it was interesting. I will certainly give it that. Hmm. It's a very unique video game. I've never played anything like it. Yes, it sounds super fascinating. It's weird. <laughs> it, was, it was very weird. Um, well, uh, I think we should springboard off of that into something with a completely different tone. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> let's let's start talking about Kiki's delivery service. Guys. Fuck. Yes. Kiki's delivery service. In, in my notes, I have it listed as Kiki's combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. I don't know why I wrote that down. But that's that. It's Kiki's com- combination uh Delivery service bread shop. Yes, it is. It is a double business. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just thought it, it'd be funny to like think of another business that she does. She delivers pizza. It's sort like of a delivery pizza. service. <laughs> he stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> it's Kiki. Oh shit! You referenced <laughs> Spider-Man Two, Jusby. That's I did. foreshadowing, and I'll explain why <laughs> later. Anywho. No. No. Um, Let's talk about Kiki's Delivery Service. What a fucking movie, dude. Hell I, yeah, dude. I What a wholesome, absolute 10 out of 10 of a movie. 
keys delivery services. Yeah. Uh, I genuinely think this is the best one so far, and that surprises me because Totoro is so fucking incredible. Castle in the Sky is so fucking incredible. Like, I feel like this list is going to be continually topped throughout his career. Like, you know, not not yeah. with each film in order, but like... You know what? What something's not going to stay number one for long in the Miyazaki list just because all the movies are so good. And like you know, I'm tempted to put the most recent one I've watched at the number one spot in our list every time. But I don't know. I guess we'll talk about that part of it later. Kiki's Delivery Service is the fifth film from legendary animated film director Hayao Miyazaki. It was released in Japan in 1989. Uh, This film is based on a 1985 children's novel with the same title, written by Eiko Kodono. I don't don't know how to say the first name. It's E-I-K-O. Eiko? Maybe? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, buddy. (laughs) I... I'm an ignorant American, and I I think the first step is admitting that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, um, I I didn't know that this was actually not a owned Miyazaki property. Uh, much like uh, I, I guess I, I don't know how many of his other his, of his works are also based on a novel or something, and not like a owned character of Ghibli. Because you know, like like Totoro, they own. Totoro, they make toys right. of and make billions of dollars off of. I, I don't know if they make. They probably do make Kiki toys, but like you know, they don't make the whole sum of the profits off of it. Um, yeah. So this film was like a huge success, and it led to sequel novels being written by Kadona, uh, and those are still coming out today. The latest came out in 2017, so there's there's still Kiki books coming out. I don't know how much they have to do with what we watch, though. Um, Miyazaki, when he's adapting something that is from another author, much like with like, what he did with Lupin, it seems to be he puts his own spin on it. And I appreciate that. It always feels like it's personal, no matter what he's covering. Yeah. yeah. He, he always puts his... He's like, no matter what, he's going to put his personal tinge on it. Yeah, which is great, and this is a perfect thing for him to adapt, I think, too, which like lines up really well because you're, you're talking about you're coming from like, for example, you're coming from Totoro, right? But you're talking about like a very wholesome, great family movie, right? Yeah, which, like, in many ways, this is it's in that Kiki. Realm. This is like a sequel, not in terms of characters, but in terms of growing up. Like uh, Totoro is about early childhood. And this is about, you know, like your early teen years where like you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, starting to become a person for the first time and you're starting to have responsibilities and you're starting to have, you know, fears and doubts and not everything is just, yay, I'm a kid and filled with wonder and, you know that's handled expertly well with this little movie 
about a witch uh, who runs a delivery service. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, I mean, like, let, let's just talk about our opinions about it before I get into any more facts, I suppose. Um, I don't know, man. It's just, like, the man don't miss. No, he, he does like, not miss. This town... The design of this town is fucking stellar. I, every frame yeah. of this movie is beautiful as fuck. Great landscapes. The fucking forest, the fucking town, the fucking ocean, the fucking sky. And, and you get a lot of cool angles of stuff because Kiki can fly around the city. Uh, it's just so beautiful. I love the, uh, you know, kind of like French, I suppose architecture and, and look of the city. Yeah. Not quite. Yeah, it's definitely... But, but like, it, you know... It, it's derivative, for sure. Gives gives me some Ratatouille vibes a little bit. Uh, it's like that... And it's like, soundtrack like, as well. A little, yeah. Yeah. I, I love the design of town. It's like, it's like sort of gothic-y <laughs> with, uh, with, yeah, with like a... It's got that French tinge of gothiness, but it's also got like like a hustle and bustle of the larger city. It's really cool. Yeah. No, I I absolutely love that love that design. It's unique, and it makes it makes like every little bit of it where you're looking at like what's going on just so much more interesting. Yeah, and then the the story of it is just you know. I, I am not a, a female witch in training, but Miyazaki just finds a way to make this extremely relatable no matter what, no matter who the main character because, is. Because yeah. it's, it's just like a lot of stuff that, like, you know, even if it's not, ex- like, experiences you've had exactly, you know of it. Right. You have... One of the things that Miyazaki is always great at is tying in these like mystical themes along with uh, like just themes about life in general. Yeah, very human and very relatable. And that is literally all this movie is. Now, like, like you have a lot of other films that have like you know action sequences and like things like that. Like similar, I guess. Like Totoro is kind of like that as well, even though that's also kind of different. But this is like. You're, this is literally like a slice of life. <laughs> yeah, with a with a mist with a, the mystical backdrop about a witch. Mm-hmm. And like, even though the, a lot of the movie is about her doing witch things, um, the themes that tie in with it like just make it super relatable. You you get like, especially watching it as somebody who's older, you get a lot of feelings of like your childhood and stuff like that. It's really cool. Yeah, and just like, you know, growing up, like, we've all been there, like, you know, what what was your first job, you know, like, you know, what was right. the first time, like, you moved away from home, or, you know, had, had to deal with, like, people that you don't know, like, just, like, going to a strange city, and, like, not knowing anybody, uh, even if you haven't had any of those like experiences specifically it's still relatable in the sense that like you've dealt with it 
in in any like case like you know this is like presented to us as kind of an extreme example of it because like witches in in this universe like are supposed to leave home at age 13 and they have to live away from their parents uh i think they say for one year at the very least yeah so you know that's a lot more drastic than like you know when most people are 13, they're probably not even even coming close to moving away from home. But you may, right. you know, with your added responsibility, you may, like, you know, be away from your parents for some time. You know, these things happen. Yeah. Oh, so, like, like we get the relatability at a different age as you watch it, right? Yeah. So, like, so, like, you know, it's funny. is like I just moved away from my hometown earlier this year. Right. And, like... There's some relatability in that, like being off on your own and nobody, nobody out there to help you, you know, and like that kind of ties in with it. This is really cool. Yeah, you're gonna meet a lot of new people, and you're gonna have, you know, your life's gonna be different, but that doesn't mean it has to be bad. Uh, you know, you're like, and, and I really appreciate the the angle where it's like there's a bit of like surrogate parentage happening which is really nice. Uh, yeah. It's not like Kiki's parents are either dead or uh, don't care about her. I mean, they certainly do, but because they're not there, Kiki gets like basically surrogate parents in the form of bakery mom and also uh, forest painting mom. <laughs> like... I, I, I appreciate these aspects a lot because as you grow up, you're going to have a lot more parental figures in your life than just your parents, for sure. Yeah. You know, you're going to learn a lot from people that aren't your parents. And and, and your worldview expands, and, and you learn a lot in that regard, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot in here also about like like change and like things moving. <laughs> you're you're playing out a whole experience here, almost a lifetime's worth of events. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. You know, concepts of of life and loss and like like thinking specifically like um. Like um, when when Gigi uh, starts being unable to talk to Kiki for a little bit there in the movie. Yeah, uh, get, I'll, I'll get, have a uh, bit more to say about that later. But uh, Gigi's my fucking favorite character in this whole fucking no, he's thing. Great. Um, Gigi's the shit. Fucking love Gigi. Um, that's that's her black cat. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he talks the whole movie it, until like mm-hmm. maybe like a half hour left when he never talks ever again. And it's like, whoa, that sucks. But, like, I think it's very metaphorical for, like, you know, you're not you're not going to be talking to your cat <laughs> like you need to grow up, you know? I think it's, like, it's, it represents that. Yeah, it represents, like, life-changing. Yeah. Your cat's like, not like, your best friend. The, like, actual people that can actually talk to you are going to be, right. like, you know... It's still good to have a cat. It's just it turns into a different thing for her. Right. Yeah. 
It's like it's just the, the whole, this whole the whole like what is I guess considered I guess you consider the climax of the movie, you know, when she's losing her powers and she has to Yeah. You know, deal with that and 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 it's just like the question of like, you know, why is that happening and it's never really a specific thing. It's just kinda like yeah. she needs to like refind I guess like confidence in herself, basically. Yeah. Uh There's a lot going on in this movie. I enjoyed it quite mm-hmm. a bit, and it, it moves at a really good pace too. I'd it say it does. You're all you're constantly meeting somebody new, or you know, if you haven't seen them in a little bit, they come back, and it's cool to see yeah, them again. Like, like because, the old lady. Yeah, oh, God, I love all the characters in this movie. They're expertly well done, and and the dub is so fucking good for this one. The dub is this is probably yeah. the best dub so far as far as like overall it is, quality 100%. of the performances involved. But anyway, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess before I I go on here, let's talk about like like what's your like favorite part? I suppose. Man, <laughs> um, you know I think I like a lot. Um. When uh the first time speaking of the old lady, the first time she meets the old lady, I think uh that whole segment is like super fun. She's getting the uh they're getting the oven together and everything, like the 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 subtle little bits of like character. Yeah. Like when uh like when Kiki's carrying out the wood. Mm-hmm. And she drops a piece of it. She's looking at it like oh god oh fuck it just kicks it and starts running <laughs> like shit like that. It's just like these these like small like character building moments uh, are super cool. And you're showing showing her, her dedication to getting stuff done, and like, which which is uh makes it interesting later on in the film, she kind of starts like losing it and everything. Right. And you see the dichotomy of that, where she is like at, that's a very early point in the film. And like I don't know, just like, it's so that part was like just like really whimsical and fun. I love loved it very much. Heartwarming. Yeah. And then you get like the harsh crashing in of reality when like she delivers the the thing they made right right when she goes to leave and it starts raining yeah and then like her yeah it was her granddaughter her granddaughter's like, a bitch he's an ass man he's an asshole yeah i don't even like this pie garbage there's there's a lot of characters yeah. there's like a couple characters in this that i'm just like wow what a fucking bitch uh and they, they just like you know most of them are great heartwarming characters but there's just like a few <laughs> and i think that's true to life you know not everybody you meet on your journey is gonna be a positive experience for you you know there there are mm-hmm. assholes in the world right like a granddaughter who doesn't appreciate her grandmother or the mm-hmm. police. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'll tell you, I do Kiki Kate's the cops as much as anybody should. Let's go, baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, that that part where, like, uh, the cops, like, stay right here and she does not. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I think my favorite bit is... I don't know. Like, I kind of have two because this movie kind of, like, has, like, it's really good at dramatic things or heartwarming things. And then it's really good at comedic bits as well. Uh, yes. the, the comedic stuff I like the most is um, 
one of her deliveries is to deliver a cat toy that looks just like Gigi to this little boy, uh, but she drops it, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, right near a bird's right nest. Right near all these crows, and they won't let her get it, so they hatch a plan to have Gigi pose as the toy for the time being, and just, like, his experience with that dog is so fucking funny to me. Uh, I loved those moments. Just that old dog who just, like, you know, I guess knows that the cat is alive, but doesn't care. It's just, like, treats it like a toy anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then just, like, the twist of, like, you'd think the cat, like, Gigi would be, like, super, like, pissed. Like, ew, a dog. I hated that whole experience. But then he's just kind of just, like, Ralph helped me escape. Or whatever yeah. at the whole end of that thing. His name's his name's Jeff. Jeff, that's what great. it is. Yes. What a silly name for a dog. <laughs> uh, that that dog's mega base, dude. He got he got GG out of there. GG out of there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like I I think uh her little uh trip to the the forest with uh wilderness lady who paints stuff. Yeah, the the artist, yeah, yeah. Is uh also a big highlight for me. I mean I love that character. That character is great. Uh yeah, she's super cool. <laughs> and I just kinda liked the life lessons that you know, she kinda learns from there because like, you know, like a a, a problem that seems like very bad and drastic because it's losing your superpowers is explained away as just like you have like writer's block basically and like your powers will come back and everything will be fine and obviously that's a metaphor for like you know you feeling like not everything's right in your life now and, and you're down in the dumps but you know you can always get past things and it's done really well. It's done really subtly. All the dialogue is great and, and doesn't really feel hammy. And yeah. I, I think that's impressive to pull off when you're talking about yeah, a, like a lesson as basic as that, but like doing it with such care that it comes across as like the most sincere. Yeah. So what, what, a, what a funny aside real quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when... Um, <clears throat> When Kiki goes back to the artist's house, um, all the crows are, you know, the crows are up on the roof. She's like, oh, I befriended them, right? It reminded me of uh, a Reddit post I read <laughs> once about this guy who uh, who heard about how you can befriend crows. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he decided to start feeding these crows. And then they ended up becoming defenders of his home. So much so that... He had a neighbor over, and they started attacking his neighbor. Holy fuck. <laughs> but then they got together, and then the neighbors started feeding the birds, and then the birds ended up becoming protectors of the community. Whoa, that's fucking crazy. Crows are very interesting creatures. <laughs> that just uh, made me think about that when I watched the movie wow, last that's week. that's kind of funny. I was surprised that they didn't immediately start trying to attack Kiki, but I'm glad that that didn't happen because that was a 
a low point for her character. She didn't yeah. need to get attacked by crows in the middle of that arc. Uh, yeah, she's was, she was struggling <laughs> enough. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about the, the production, I guess. Uh, so this film was initially turned down by Miyazaki, uh, as well as Isao Takahata, the, the other co-founder of Studio Ghibli, uh, because they were currently working on their, their heartwarming double bill of My Neighbor Totoro and, 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 and Grave of the Fireflies. Heartwarming film. A heartwarming yeah. film. So um, Miyazaki decided to give the project to Suneo Katabuchi, who he had previously worked with on an anime series called Sherlock Hound, which uh, you probably won't ever see that localized uh, because the Conan Doyle estate uh, doesn't like it when you use the word Sherlock at all. Uh, but anywho, uh, so Miyazaki just intends to merely oversee the project, but eventually he decides to take the reins completely, uh, possibly due to his dissatisfaction with the script. Um, he just kind of like slowly asserts control over the project over the course of its early development and then just says, fuck it, I'll make it basically. Uh, so Miyazaki and his staff took trips to Stockholm and Visby in Sweden for inspiration in designing the film's setting, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, I, I get the, like the island vibe. Like there's the prominent beach and like the whole town is on an island and there's like, you know, the shipping communities and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, the novel. Yeah, so I didn't know much about the novel. I know it exists. That's what it's based off of. I, I, I don't, I don't know, know a ton about, about it. it. I, um, from what I've read here and wrote down in my notes, the novel is much more episodic and lighthearted than what Miyazaki eventually went with. It, it's not as serious with its themes. It's, you know... Children's book, um, and as such, it it's kind of just presents all everything like maybe like a less formative years. I it's kind of just like you know more innocent stories. I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities, uh, and and I mean I, I honestly like I find the movie itself to be a bit episodic as well. Certainly, like this is a episode where she hangs out with Tomba. This is an episode where she hangs out with Baker Mom. You know, it, it's like you know, everything is kind of just like little little vignettes. You know. Okay. But anywho, uh, a big difference is Kiki never loses her powers, and she never takes part in a dramatic, dangerous uh, rescue sequence like the ending of the film. Uh, right. Miyazaki stated, quote, As movies always create a more realistic feeling, Kiki will suffer stronger setbacks and loneliness than in the original, end quote. Now, these changes to the source material initially did not sit well with the writer, Eiko Kodono. Um, and the project was put into jeopardy before production really started to get off the ground. Uh, Miyazaki and his producer, Toshio Suzuki, 
went to the home of Kadono and invited her to Studio Ghibli. And after this visit, Kadono allowed the film to continue. So, I don't necessarily know mm. quite what they did. I mean, they probably just showed that they had a lot of passion for what they were doing and that it wasn't ruining her book, you know, their changes. Uh, right. Probably yeah. just explain so themselves that kind of is all it took. Because, cool. like, clearly we could see in the end product that this is pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty good. Uh, much like My Neighbor Totoro, this film was intended to be much shorter. It was probably intended to be like an hour-long short. Uh, but throughout the early stages of production, Miyazaki kept adding shit. And it expanded into a full-length feature film. That's cool. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when else to talk about this, so I'm going to talk about it here. Just stick it in there. I, I think I know where you're going to go with this. Just go. No, you don't. Spider-Man oh. things later. That, that's the oh, last okay. thing I'm going to talk about. <laughs> uh, that'd be a good part to end on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, alright. So, I just wanted to bring this up because it's very strange to me, because there is another movie called Kiki's Delivery Service. Uh, you know, the, the, the novel had another adaptation. This one is live action. It came out in 2014. Uh, this adaptation was directed by Takashi Shimizu. Um, if that name sounds at all familiar to anybody listening, he is the director of the following films. And I want you to keep track of these and not get confused. Because, in my opinion, it is easy to do so. Are you ready? Juon. <laughs> Juon 2. Juan the Grudge, Juan the Grudge 2, The Grudge, and The Grudge 2. All right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so he's Grudge Guy. Is the director right, he's the of Grudge Guy. Um, apparently, this movie received negative reviews, and people just saying, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's like the opposite of the Miyazaki version, you know? It's just like cash grab movie, mm. but uh, oh well. <laughs> see, you see, even Japan gets shitty live action remakes. It's not just an American thing <laughs> with, with American cartoons. Yeah. No. It's a it's a filmmaking it's a thing filmmaking. for companies who need some money. <laughs> right. What the money? I haven't seen it, so it's hard for me to probably pass harsh judgment. I, I heard about it. But, uh, I, I heard about it. I have no intention of seeing I it. Wouldn't, I wouldn't have chose the exists. Grudge Man to make Kiki's delivery service either. But uh, it's probably like, oh, let's give it a dark tinge, <laughs> or something stupid like that. We're gonna get Sam Raimi. I would get Sam Raimi to direct a Kiki's Delivery Service movie, let's be honest here. I mean, yeah, he can make anything. He's But Sam Raimi is good at uh, more than... That's true. <laughs> but even his Spider-Man movies, which we'll get to in a bit, are uh, violent <laughs> and fucked up. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't right. know. So, 
let's talk about the dub. Yes. First English dub was produced in 1990 by Streamline Pictures. This this is kind of a pattern that is very familiar to us all by now. But then right. a Walt Disney dub was released in 1998. This version is the most common one now, as is the case with most other early first half of his career Miyazaki films. Just, you know, mm-hmm. before his works were getting localized at a regular basis, you know, because it took 10 years for this fucking movie to have a good dub, you know. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know. The streamlined dub might be serviceable. I, I don't know. So, the Disney dub contains some changes to the original film. These changes were approved by Studio Ghibli, or else the changes wouldn't have been allowed to be there in the first place. That is part of their policy. Ever since there was a dub of Nausicaa and of the Valley of the Wind. Or and the Valley and the Wind? No, that's not right. Nausicaa. Valley of the Wind. <laughs> uh, fuck the title of that movie. Love that movie. Fuck the title of it. Um, you know, like, I, I think, I, if you remember, I mentioned this in our Nausicaa episode. Uh, that, like, the dub for that, like, removed a lot of plot elements and, like, implied that the bugs were just... They're just monsters. Just shoot them. Shoot the monsters, which is not the point of, of Nausicaa at all. Um, so, you know, that, that pissed Miyazaki off. So it's like, you know, if changes are going to happen, they got to go through him. But he okayed all of these and thought they were fine. Uh, so... Some of the changes include uh, additional music cues and sound effects throughout the film, but uh, the biggest change is to the character of Gigi, Kiki's pet cat. Now, in the original film, Gigi is voiced by an actress. Cats are usually perceived to have feminine voices in Japanese culture, regardless of the gender of the cat. Interesting. So the dub opts to portray Gigi with a male voice instead because Gigi is a male cat. Makes sense to me. Now, another big part of this is his personality is changed to be more sarcastic and cynical. And I think this decision comes about entirely due to who voices Gigi, which is Phil Hartman. Uh, if you don't know, mega based casting. Phil, by Phil the way. Hartman is was the shit. Uh, he is extremely funny man. Uh, was a SNL cast member and just appeared in all kinds of stuff. I, I think uh, some of my favorite stuff he did was uh, the voices of uh, Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure on The Simpsons. Uh, just. It's super hysterical shit. Uh, he was also the first Zap Brannigan, but it's only the first appearance. Uh, he also worked with Paul Rubens and developed the character of Pee Wee Herman. And he was a regular on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Don't you know? I just found that cool. But anyway... Yeah, that's really, that's really cool. So he, in this dub, and we'll talk a bit more about Phil Hartman, because... It's a side note, but we're going to talk more about Phil Hart. Um, 
he did a lot of ad libs during his performance, and these were added to the finished dub, uh, including in spots where Gigi had originally said nothing at all. Um, and there's also a line added in the dub that implies that Kiki regains the ability to speak to and understand Gigi by the end of the film, like her powers have fully been restored. Uh, and finally, the dub also replaced the original songs performed by Yumi Arai during the film's opening and closing credits with original songs performed in English by Sydney Forrest. Now, if that doesn't sound right, that's because it's kind of not. Some of these changes I mentioned are not in the dub as it stands today, but were at first. So a new version of this dub, with many of the previous changes altered or removed entirely, was released on DVD in 2010. This version removed several of the Phil Hartman ad-libbed lines. It removed the additional line implying that Kiki can once again understand Gigi. And it went back to the Japanese songs, originally present in the film, during the credit sequences. I... Hmm don't know what led them to make these changes and then unmake these changes. Uh, obviously the version on HBO Max is the new like fixed quote-unquote version. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see what other Phil Hartman lines are in here that we didn't get to hear though. Because I like his performance as Gigi a lot. Gigi's my favorite character in the thing. Uh, I kind of would have liked to hear those, but you know, I, I could see yeah. like maybe they stand out and I could also see like, you know, I think it makes a lot more sense that Kiki not being able to talk to Gigi isn't a powers thing. It's a growing up thing. I think, you know, yeah. Kiki never talking to Gigi again makes sense. And should be how it is. Yeah, I agree. I like that a lot. Like, it's the, like from a develop, like a character development standpoint, it makes sense to me. Yeah, me too. It's her growing up. So let's like it's like that signifier. Let's talk about this cast. This dub is so fucking good. Everyone is perfectly cast as their characters. Uh, Kiki is Kirsten Dunst, who was about fifteen at the time. Uh, previously famous yeah. for appearing in Interview with a Vampire, uh, and of course would later appear in, uh, this is like the ninth time I've mentioned these, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. <laughs> Massive foreshadowing. Uh, she's fucking great. Yeah. She holds the whole thing together. And I'm glad, because, you know... So, like the main character has to be the one that holds the whole thing together, and when you got a dub, sometimes that's a little tricky, especially when it's like a young character. You know, like uh, what was it? Castle in the Sky had Anna Paquin as the the princess, yeah. and she wasn't that great. No, she was not. Thankfully, she wasn't like the main character, but like you know, that worry is there. So I'm glad that Kirsten is, like, a good actress <laughs> and knocked it out of the park. 
and did so at the age of 15. Carries the whole fucking movie. Uh, That's pretty incredible, yeah. honestly. So let's talk about Phil Hartman. Um, this is this is just an aside, but I wanted to bring it up because I like talking about fucked up Hollywood drama. One of my favorite things that has ever happened on the Get and Jump show was when I did a non sequitur just to talk about Eddie Murphy punching John Landis. Okay. So I oh. I like fu- talking about fucked up Hollywood drama. Now, this isn't as fun to talk about though. It's really not. Well, I guess that isn't is also starts out not being fun to talk about cuz you got to talk about what John Landis did. So oof. But anyway, so Phil, yeah, Phil Hartman passed away in 1994. Or no, not 1994. I'm sorry, 1998. Yes. And this is because, you know, he was murdered by his wife. She, I guess, took a lot of antidepressants and cocaine and was drunk and killed him into sleep and then told a friend and then eventually when the cops showed up I think she killed herself it's very dark it's very fucked up uh, and yeah. a fucking absolute legend was taken from the world like much too soon like there was all kinds of stuff that he was talking about doing he was talking about doing a Troy McClure movie like as if he was a real actor and do like a movie based on like it in live action, mind you. This is a Simpsons character I'm talking about, but he wanted to do a live action Troy McClure movie about this fucking like actor spokesperson man. Uh, and I bet he could have pulled it off because he was great at everything he did. Basically, <laughs> uh, Kiki's mm-hmm. Delivery Service is one of his final roles. Uh, his last role, incidentally, is Small Soldiers, directed by. The Gremlins man, Joe Dante, which coincidentally also stars Kristen Bell. <laughs> um, Tibbet of Invo, that has absolutely nothing to do with Kiki's delivery service at all. Okay. But I'm going to talk about it. Because again, I like weird, fucked up Hollywood drama. <laughs> uh, so, John Lovitz who co-starred with Phil Hartman on News Radio, as well as Saturday Night Live. Love John Lovitz. The the critic is a great cartoon. Uh, So he claimed publicly that Andy Dick is partially responsible for the death of Hartman because he reintroduced Hartman's wife to cocaine, and this caused her to relapse and have the mental breakdown that led to the murder of Hartman and her suicide. Now, Andy Dick has had multiple times over the years claimed to have absolutely nothing to do with the incident. And this, you know, years go by. Lovitz eventually states that he no longer blames Andy Dick for the incident. But apparently, in 2006... Andy Dick approaches John Lovitz at a restaurant uh, 
and tells him, he whispers in his ear, I put the Phil Hartman hex on you. You're the next one to die. And this causes Lovitz to have him thrown out of the restaurant, and it reignites their feud. And apparently, a year after that, John Lovitz and Andy Dick once again meet in a public place, and they have yet another confrontation. And this one ends with John Lovitz slamming Andy Dick's head onto the nearby bar that they are sitting at. Uh, So I just found that kind of weird and interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. (laughs) Holy shit. Uh, Anyway. Back to Kiki's delivery service. (laughs) I don't know. There's no transition. There can't be. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, Tress McNeil plays Osono, Baker Mom. Uh, Tress McNeil, very prominent voice actor, famously portrayed Dot Warner on Animaniacs, Babs Bunny on Tiny Toons, and Mom on Futurama. This was her first work on a Studio Ghibli dub. But we have heard her three times before now. She's Obaba in Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, Okami in Castle in the Sky, and Miss Hera in My Neighbor Totoro. Now, this is definitely her biggest role as far as the Ghibli movie goes. But, Mm -hmm. you know, she gets around. She's been in, like, everything. uh, Which is good, because she's a great voice actress. Uh, This one interests me, because he's uncredited, and he has, like, one line. Brad Garrett is Fukuo, the baker dad. Okay? Okay. He has one line. Yep. He just tells them, that, like, look at that, or whatever, to the airship. Yeah. Other than that, he's a mute character that says nothing throughout the entire movie, which I liked a lot because, like, you know, Kiki is unsure what to think of him at first because he's, like, the opposite of Baker Mom, you know, who's just is constantly talking. Uh, Baker Dad is silent and stoic, but has a heart of gold, makes that little sign for Kiki, and uh, has that good moment where he looks at Gigi. <laughs> uh, oh yeah early in the movie I liked that moment um, yeah that's Brad Raymond Garrett doing that voice uh, <laughs> oh, we got Janine Garofalo nice. as Ursula the painter lady uh, stand-up comedian, appeared on Ben Stiller's show, went on American Summer, and, and Saturday Night Live, very, very briefly. She's like a very prominent activist as well. Um, Matthew Lawrence as Tombo, or as I like to call him, Little Anthony Fantano. <coughs> uh, <laughs> looks just, just like, I don't know. Fantano has that shirt. I, I've seen people make this comparison before. Uh, but Matthew Lawrence is Jack Hunter on Boy Meets World, as as well as the sequel, Girl Meets World, which I forgot was the thing until I wrote these notes. Uh, <laughs> we got a cat. Now, the, the, this is interesting. Uh, I usually don't go this deep in uh, writing down the voice actors, but uh, 
Kiki's mom is voiced by Kath Susie. She's the voice of Phil and Lil on Rugrats, Lola Bunny in Space Jam, and Jeff Bennett is the voice of Kiki's dad. He is Johnny Bravo. He is also Kyle Katarn in Star Wars Jedi Knight yeah. 2 Jedi Outcast and Star Wars Jedi Knight Jedi Academy. But the really weird thing is that these are also the voice of Dexter's mom in Dexter's Lab and Dexter's dad in Dexter's Lab. These two previously played a mom and dad to a completely That's... different cartoon character. Which okay. is weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> really interesting that I ended up that My way. Siblings, it's canon. That's, that's weird. Shit, uh, man. Debbie Reynolds is Madame. You just credit it as Madame. It's, it's the old lady in, in the little mansion. Uh, Debbie Reynolds was a legendary actress appearing in tons of stuff. Singing in the Rain, How the West Was Won, uh, and of course, the most critically acclaimed work, Halloween Town. Uh, also the mother <laughs> of Carrie Fisher and... They both kind of tragically passed away in like the same fucking weekend. It was really weird how that happened. Uh, yeah, it's awful. Really sad. Uh, Edie McClurg is Barsa, the, uh, I guess, maid to the old woman who is also an old woman herself. Uh, the character design for that character is like identical to the, the leader of the pirates. In Castle in the Sky. I, I think just like the Miyazaki style of old woman only has a couple flavors. Like, like she looks very similar. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and this one... The, the, the witch at the beginning of the movie who Kiki runs into who is a total fucking rude bitch is voiced by true, true. Debbie Derryberry who is Jimmy Neutron and also Coco Bandicoot <laughs> and also oh my god the Toy Story aliens that say the claw oh my god I just thought that was fun you love to see it <laughs> you love to see it and this one I noticed during the movie immediately knew who this was uh, Ket, the little boy who receives a cat toy as a gift, is Pamela Seagull, who is the voice of Bobby Hill on King of the Hill. And I picked this out during the movie because that's the same voice. <laughs> that kid sounds like a sort of younger Bobby Hill. It's it's the same exact fucking voice. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. And you think about it's just that? like, what the fuck? That's Bobby Hill. <laughs> What's Bobby Hill doing in a Miyazaki movie? He's supposed to be in a different world class anime. Anyway. Nah, dude. Bobby Hill can be in a Miyazaki movie he wants. <laughs> sure. Why not? So, as, as you know, we, we can obviously assume, like, 
This this movie's a huge success. The highest grossing movie in yeah. Japan in 1989. So Miyazaki has officially, officially hit the big time. Now it's not just, you know, he did pretty good. It's he's the highest grossing movie in the country. Uh, against its 800 million yen budget, it grossed 4.3 billion yen, and even more once it was released on home video and in other countries. Uh, critics loved it too. Rotten Tomatoes gave this, I think, the highest for the Miyazaki films so far, a 98%. It's like completely universal praise. Probably just that one guy that always gives a bad review to every movie gave this the bad review. I forget that critic's name. You know who I'm talking about, right? That famously cynical critic that, like, will seemingly on purpose, just to ruffle feathers, give bad reviews to movies with really high Rotten Tomatoes percentages. Mm-hmm. I have no proof that this is what happened, but... It's a, it's a theory. So, I, I don't think we, I have too much more to say about it other than doing the ranking. Except, uh, I had a thought, and if you follow me on Twitter, you saw this thought. And I can't shake it. And it's really stupid. Um... It shouldn't, like, bother me as much, this thought, because, like, like at the end of the day, movies being similar to other movies is not insane. Just because, you know, movies can have similar structures to other movies because, I don't know, like, what's that thing? Like, there's probably, like, only, like, five stories you could tell, <laughs> probably, like, you know, like like, people say this. Right. All movies are the same is what I'm trying to say, Justin. If we watched Jason X, we would have had the same experience. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Oh yeah, uh, identical. <laughs> functionally identical. Shut. Yeah, yeah. I don't see the, the problem. The thought here, I couldn't you know? shake is that both Kiki's Delivery Service <laughs> by Hayao Miyazaki. <laughs> And Spider-Man 2, directed by Sam Raimi, have functionally identical plots. I... I kind of... I don't believe you, but, like, make your case. Okay, well, both of them are about... Uh... You know, like the first Spider-Man movie, he's still in high school for a lot of it. The second one, he's more coming into his own, and he's, like, learning how to try and balance his life. He has, like, a job. Uh, He gets fired from the pizza place at the beginning of the movie. (coughs) He's having trouble balancing his life as Spider-Man and his life as, you know, Peter Parker. Uh... That's not explicitly what's going on in Kiki, but you do have, like, the sense of growing up and, like, the division between, like, being a fun-loving kid and now being a hard-working adult. Uh, now, 
the biggest thing that these movies have in common is their plot line being basically about resolving like a hang up in your life that causes you to like kind of spiral into a bit of a depression and you need to spiral out of it and both of these are kind of prompted both of the spirals out of the depression are brought about by saving a loved one specifically the romantic interest for both of the major characters and both of these more figurative concepts are shown to us through the characters having superpowers and losing the powers seemingly apropos of nothing that is the case in both movies spider-man stops having spider powers for some reason kiki loses her witch powers for some reason and then the only way they can get them back is by i guess having self-confidence again and going ahead and you know the the big final push for them to get their powers completely back is their significant other or potential significant other is in danger and they have to save them from being murdered these movies are the same justin oh man what you're saying is Sam Raimi watched Kiki's Delivery Service. Maybe like, not, but the writer of Spider-Man 2 might have. Um, I mean, like, at, you know, this is just a funny thing. At the end of the day, this is a pretty standard way to tell a story, you know? Right. Like, you know, your, your yeah, protagonist will have a low point and then come back. You know, it's kind of like the Rocky 3 kind of thing, right? You know, Rocky's gonna lose to Clubber Lang. But then, at the end of the movie, he will beat Clubber Lang once he has, you know, confidence and stuff. Basically, what I'm trying to say is Rocky Three is also Kiki's delivery service. <laughs> Which, conversely, yeah, every single movie that is identical to Rocky III's plot, is also, by proxy, also Kiki's Delivery Service. And this would include many movies. Black Panther has a extremely similar plot line to Rocky III. The Dark Knight Rises has an extremely similar plot to Rocky III. Aquaman, uh, you know, the list goes on. Those uh, overcoming uh, the funk that you're in are, you know, presented as actually literally defeating the problem who is a person. But in the case with Spider-Man 2 and Kiki's Delivery Service, it's not a person they have to defeat. Well, I mean, Dr. Octopus is in Spider-Man 2, but more so the villain of that movie is Peter Parker himself. Because, like, he has to get out of the funk of being, the like, torn between his two lives. He kind of has to, like, 
move past it in order to be Spider-Man again. You know, he has to grow up and figure out his life, much like Kiki does, to get her powers back. Uh, All movies are the same. (laughs) Is my functional mission statement here. Yeah, dude. Every movie is the exact same. There's no reason for them to exist. It only needed to be one movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that movie? Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, please. Freddy Got Fingered. Direct, directed no, and written no, by and starring good. Tom Green. This is this isn't where I'm at. Abort. Also, Kiki's delivery. <laughs> abort, abort. Yeah, I love the part when when uh, Kiki has a bunch of sausages hanging from the ceiling, and then uh, Baker mom comes in she's like, and she says, "Mommy, would you like some sausage? <laughs> Mommy, would you like some sausages?" While she's playing a keyboard that's attached to the uh, sausages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I may have. I may have went to Galaxy Brain with this with this comparison. I feel like I've made a grave error in bringing Freddy Got Fingered into the conversation. As as often is the case when I talk about Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, oh, both have Kirsten Bell in it. There, see, it's more than just a coincidence. Okay, cool. Um, so you want to put Kiki at one? Yes, Justin. <laughs> All right, cool. That's been the Get and Jump Show. Um, next week, <laughs> next week we're not going to talk about Freddy Got Figure. <laughs> no, we are not. Um, we are going to talk about Porco Rosso, which I'm very excited to watch. Yeah. I have never fucking seen that movie. This is the Miyazaki film I'm the least familiar with. I've only watched it once. Um, Looking at images of it, it appears to be about a pig man who flies. Yep, sure, uh, sure what? is. What? I'm sure yep. it's good. Yeah, watch the but movie. More but... than any other Miyazaki movie that I haven't seen and I've only seen images from, uh, my opinion currently is what? And and that is about it. I'm sure it will be functionally identical to the themes and plot of Spider-Man 3. Just kidding, no movie should be functionally identical to the themes and plot of Spider-Man 3. Do not do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Alright, I'm, I'm fucking... I've had it Joking with you. Joking aside, Kiki's really good. Watch Kiki. Yeah, no. Kiki, Kiki's Liver Service is great. Yeah. Please watch it. I'm, I've had enough of mm-hmm. you, and I've had enough of this show for one day, frankly. <laughs> After uh, you compared Freddy Got Fingered to Kiki's Delivery Service, I'd like to leave. Just all I'm saying is watch Kiki and then Spider-Man Two in a double feature, and you'll see what I'm talking about. That's a pretty good double feature. They're both good movies, you know. And then, but then watch Kiki's Delivery Service and watch Freddy Got Fingered. That's probably not as good of a double feature. It's probably just no. It's it's you know, not even. Close. I mean, it's better than the one I pitched last week. Uh, when I was making fun of the Mind yeah. Over Totoro, Grave of the Fireflies double bill, and said you should watch Solo and then Monsters, Inc. I mean, it's better than that. Yeah, it's better than that. Yeah, that, you know, I, I'll give that to you, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm leaving. I'm running away from you. I'm leaving. Oh, God, I might come back next week. We'll see. Ken her might have just excommunicated me from this podcast. No, well, that's that's okay. You just need to go find yourself, and then you'll have the power 
again, once you get the self-confidence back to uh, be on the Gen and Jump show. And then your narrative arc Jesus will be resolved. Jesus fucking Christ. Ugh. Okay. Yeah, I'm leaving. Bye. Bye.